You're listening to Get Fed Today, one podcast designed to provide the Christian a hearty Bible study five days a week. While our mission is to showcase a variety of different Bible teachers, if you want to access more content from a particular pastor, simply listen to the end of the episode for additional information. On behalf of the entire team at Get Fed Today, it is our prayer that today's episode encourages your growth in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. This morning we'd like you to turn with us to the 19th chapter of Genesis that we might take a look at this particular chapter this morning. Genesis chapter 19. In the 19th chapter of the book of Genesis, we find recorded the destruction of the cities of the plain, the major cities being Sodom and Gomorrah. And this judgment of God that came against this civilization and this society there in Sodom and Gomorrah. The city of Sodom was situated on the southern end of the Dead Sea, an extremely fertile area. There were many fresh water streams that were feeding that particular area. And because of the warmth, there was an ideal climate for year-round growing of food. Today, the Dead Sea is the lowest place on the surface of the earth. It lies in what is known as the Great African Rift that goes from uh, Mount Hermon clear on down into Africa. It is thought that this rift was created by a great fault system uh, and that an earthquake one day just shook and, and that the whole area just sort of sunk and fell. The Dead Sea is 1,286 feet below sea level. It is 40 miles long and it is 10 miles wide, but it is actually in sort of two sections. The northern section of the Dead Sea, about 30 miles wide, 10 miles, or 30 miles long, 10 miles wide, has depths up to 1,400 feet, which means that the floor of the Dead Sea is about 2,700 feet below sea level. Now, this southern area, about 10 miles long, is very shallow. It is only 10 to 20 feet. It is thought that it, this southern area of the Dead Sea now covers what was once the area of Sodom and Gomorrah. You see, the silt that has been brought in by, through the years by the flowing of the Jordan River into the Dead Sea, this silt gradually settling has filled the bottom of the sea so that it has raised the level of the water so that this area of the, in the south, which was once fertile fields, is now covered by 10 to 20 feet of water. And it is thought that the ruins of Sodom are somewhere under this southern area of the Dead Sea. That is, it was thought up until about, oh, 10 years ago, when the archaeologists discovered the ruins of five major cities over on the western side of the southern end of the Dead Sea. These uh, cities were built sort of on mountains uh, that overlooked 
streams that flow into the Dead Sea. And from their excavations, they have found that about a million people were buried in this area, which speaks of quite a few people living in an advanced form of civilization about the time of Abraham. And so it is thought that uh, this southernmost of these five cities that was discovered is actually the ruins of the city of Sodom. And uh, now they are, of course, taking more careful look at it, but that is the consensus of opinion now that the southernmost of these five cities there on the west bank uh, of the uh, Dead Sea are in reality the cities of the plain referred to here in Genesis. And that the people lived there on the upper portions, you know, uh, so for protection, but they went down into the plain, which is now the southern end of the Dead Sea, which were very fertile fields, and that is where they did their farming. Uh, it is so warm year-round that they can grow crops year-round down there. It's, it's much like our Imperial Valley, only even a little warmer. And they are able to have an abundance of food crops. Now, a surplus of agriculture is the first basic ingredient to the developing of any society. You see, man began as a farmer. It was necessary that man be able to grow enough food to supply himself in order for him to exist. And it was not until one man could produce more food than what he himself needed that you could have any form or developing of a society. But as the agricultural uh, systems developed, when one man was able to, to produce more food than what he needed, and you began to have an agricultural surplus, the agricultural surplus is the necessity to develop any kind of a society. As soon as I can grow more food than what I can eat, then I can take my surplus and I can use it for trading to get things that I need. So you have a man who is gifted in making hoes and plows and, and shovels. And so he can now dedicate his time to the making of the hoes and plows and shovels. And this man who is now able to produce more food than what he personally needs is able to take his surplus food and trade it for a shovel or trade it for a hoe. And, and thus this man can eat because he is getting his food now through the trade, through the making of these things. And thus you have the beginning of a society. The beginning of, of, a, of a cultural development and, and the beginning of society. But it is always predicated upon agricultural surplus. Now one of the areas of the world where they first began to develop the agricultural surplus, thus the first society, was in this area of the Dead Sea. Where the weather was so warm year-round, plenty of fresh water, very fertile soil, and so they were able to produce an abundance of agriculture with the agricultural surplus, began to develop a society in that area. And so looking at Sodom from just a physical standpoint, it was a great place to live. It was a prosperous place to live. In fact, 
The Bible speaks of Sodom as being a place of an abundance of bread. Agricultural surplus, so the development of a society in the early history of man. But with that development of a society, there came a corrupting of the minds. And though physically it was a great place to live because of natural physical advantages, spiritually the place was rotten. Lot, who was a righteous man, found himself vexed by the horrible life standards of those around him. The way people were living really vexed Lot's righteous spirit. And of course, as our story reads here, when the angels of the Lord came to Sodom, Lot sitting there in the gate invited them to come into his home to spend the evening. They said, no, we'll spend the evening in the streets. And he said, oh, no, you can't do that. You must come to my home. And Lot insisted and brought the angels into his house. And after the sun went down, the men of Sodom came beating on the door of Lot and said, send forth those two men that came into your house this evening that we might know them, sexually abuse them. And Lot said, don't do this. They're, they're my friends. They're my guests. And, and here I have a couple daughters that are virgins. Do what you want with them. They said, we don't want your girls. We want the men. And the men began to beat at the door of Lot. And they began to rebuke Lot for his rebuking them. They said, this man came in as a stranger. Now he's going to try and be our judge. And the angels grabbed Lot and brought him into the house and smote the men with blindness so that they spent the evening trying to find the door. The horrible conditions of Sodom from which the word sodomy has come. The moral depravity for which the judgment of God had to fall upon these cities. The final form of moral depravity in man is always manifested in an oath blatant display of unrighteousness and sin. When men who have morally perverted themselves begin to openly parade that perversion and feel a bravado in expressing their lifestyles, you know that the system has come to the bottom that were in the pits. Such was the condition of Sodom. But what was the condition of Lot and his family? Years earlier, Abram and Lot came to the parting of the ways because they had been very prosperous. God had blessed them. And they had such large flocks and herds that they weren't able to really travel together anymore. So Abram said, hey, our herdsmen are having fights between themselves. This isn't good. Take a look over the land and you choose the direction you want to go and I'll go another direction. And so Lot looked over the land from the area of Bethel and he saw the plains of Jordan down towards Sodom, how well watered and green and lush and beautiful they were. And so 
Lot said, I'll take the area of the plains, and he pitched his tent towards Sodom. Sodom was a very worldly city, a very wicked city, but Lot was attracted and drawn to it, and he pitched his tent towards Sodom. The next time we find Lot, he now has a house in Sodom. He began pitching his tent towards it. He ended, ended up living in the midst of it. Whereas Abram moved on south to Beersheba, and there he stayed in the area of Hebron and Beersheba. But though Lot himself was able to survive in the midst of the moral pollution, it had its effect upon his wife and upon his children. Many times a man might be able to stand and you say, well, I don't need any help. I am able to stand. I can handle myself. And you have your own philosophy, your own code, and you're strong, you're able to stand, but so often you destroy your family. Though you are able to stand, your children aren't. The rest of the family isn't. They need the strength and the help of the church, of the body of Christ. And you might be able to stand on your own. Lot was able to withstand the pressures. His family wasn't. And so when he went to his daughters and said, Hey, you've got to escape out of here. And his sons-in-law said, we've got to leave. You know, this place is going to be judge this place is going to get destroyed god's going to wipe this place out they mocked and they said ah oh, come on you're crazy what's gone wrong with you you know you're, you're crazy get out of here and they refused to listen to him they refused to go they were so enticed and tangled up and involved in that whole worldly scene of pollution that his words were as one who mocked them. They disregarded him. And even Lot himself was, it seems, reluctant to leave. It says in verse 16, And as they lingered, the angels took hold of their hands to take them out. Lot, his two daughters that were yet unmarried, and his wife, we're still reluctant to leave this place of prosperity, this place of material abundance, though it was morally rotten, yet they, were, they, they found a comfort and a strength and, in it, and, and they were reluctant to leave it. They were lingering, and the angels had to drag them out, saying, hurry, get out of here and taking them by the hand, dragging them out of it, and then warning them not to look back. And so Lot, his wife, and two daughters began to flee from the city. And the judgment of God began to fall, and it says, and Lot's wife looked Back. The word looked can be translated lagged back 
Or it can also be translated, the same Hebrew word in other places is translated returned back. Lot's wife returned back. In other words, they had escaped. But Lot's wife was unwilling to give up the world. Unwilling to see it go and she was lagging behind him already. It says there in, uh, that she was behind him. And she looked back, or she returned back, and when she did, she was turned into a pillar of salt. Now, this whole area down there, of course, is an area today of, of vast salt deposits. Historically, it was an area of great asphalt deposits. In fact, uh, Josephus in his book calls it the asphalt sea rather than the dead sea. At the southern end of the Dead Sea today, there's a great mountain of salt that is 700 feet high and five miles long. It cannot be explained by slow sedimentation. Uh, there was evidently at one time a great convulsion of nature, maybe volcanoes that were spewing forth salts. Now when we talk about salt, we usually think of sodium chloride, our table salt. But down there, there are different types of salt. There is the uh, potassium uh, nitrates and the chloride nitrate salts and so forth, many different salts. And of course you know that you can take the potassium nitrate and mix it with potassium permanganate and put a little glycerin on it and man, you've got fire and brimstone. You've got an exploding fire. You've got a fire that begins to boil and bubble and begins to explode. God began to rain fire and brimstone upon Sodom and Gomorrah, setting a fire, no doubt, these asphalt deposits and these salts beginning to bubble and boil and explode and pop. And Lot's wife, returning back, came, became covered by the salt and she turned into a pillar of salt as she was covered and encased there in salt in the judgment of God that was coming against this corrupt society. You say, Chuck, <laughs> that happened about 4,000 years ago, didn't it? Yeah, about 4,000 years ago. Man, that's ancient history, man. What's that got to do with us? Hey, this is the 20th century, man. <laughs> you know, we're modern age. Times have changed. Wait a minute. Jesus makes a modern-day application. In the 17th chapter of the Gospel according to Luke, Jesus is talking about His return to the earth. And as He's talking about His return to the earth, He declares, And as it was in the days of Lot, so shall it be at the coming of the Son of Man. In other words, the conditions that existed in Sodom during the time when the judgment of God came against it, at the time that Lot was living there, as it was in the days of Lot, so shall it be at the coming of the Son of Man. And he speaks how that it wasn't until the day that Lot was taken out that the fire and brimstone destroyed the people and the judgment of God came.
The conditions of Sodom are described in Ezekiel as being a time of fullness of bread, idleness of time, and a failure to really have a concern for the poor. In other words, people were living for themselves. A very self-centered people, not caring about others, only caring about themselves. And they had plenty of time. They had the agricultural surplus, plenty of leisure, looking for pleasure, fullness of bread. And these conditions resulted in the final manifestation of their rebellion against God in their perverted lifestyles that they had chosen. As we look around us today, San Francisco and Hollywood are really modern Sodom and Gomorrah. And Orange County doesn't come very far behind. In fact, I agree with Billy Graham wholeheartedly when he said, if God doesn't judge America, then he surely must apologize to Sodom and Gomorrah. For the conditions that existed there are existing here today. And we see man now in that final form of rebellion against God as he openly and blatantly declares his perverted lifestyle and seeks to draw others into an acceptance of his perverted lifestyle. This is the final form of man's rebellion before God has had his full and his judgment comes. It's about as low as man can go. It's the presaging of the judgment of God. And yet there are people that are seeking to linger in this pit. But God is preparing and getting ready to take his church out. And even the day that Lot was taken out of the city, the judgment of God fell upon that city. So the day the church is removed, then the judgment of God will come surely come upon this perverted society in which we live. Jesus then said, remember Lot's wife. What is the lesson? The lesson is that of the danger of turning back to those former things from which God has once delivered you. She had been delivered from Sodom by the hand of God, and yet she turned back, and in turning back was destroyed with the wicked. God wants to deliver you, but maybe there is so much of the world and the desires for the world in your heart that even having been delivered from it, you find yourself being drawn back into it. Beware. Remember Lot's wife. 
It would be wrong to underestimate or to try to deny the pull of the world upon a person today. The world does have a strong pull. And when we talk about the world, we're not talking about the physical world around us. We're talking about the world system of man. As John said in his epistle, Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world, for he who has the love of the world in his heart has not the love of the Father. And then defining for us, he said, All that is of the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eye, and the pride of life. Now these things do have a very strong appeal and a strong draw. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eye, and that desire to possess and to hold and the pride of life. I have this, I have that. They do exercise a strong pull. And so often as Christians we forget that we're just strangers and sojourners here and as Lot we begin to build a house and settle down in this corrupt society. And we find ourselves somewhat attracted to it and by it. But God seeks to set us free. God seeks to deliver us because the judgment of God must come against the ungodliness and the unrighteousness of men who hold the truth of God in unrighteousness. For when they knew God, they failed to glorify Him as God, neither were they thankful, but they became vain in their imaginations. Their foolish hearts were darkened, and professing themselves to be wise, they've become fools. And they've changed the glory of a pure, holy, and corruptible God, and they've fashioned it like unto corruptible things. And they worship and serve the creature more than the Creator. Wherefore, God has given them over to their vile lust and to their perverted thinkings. But God seeks to deliver His people out of that pit. And God wants to deliver you, but maybe you find yourself drawn back, being pulled back. Remember Lot's wife in going back. She was destroyed. Peter gives a very solemn warning in his second epistle in the second chapter. Beginning with verse 20, he said, For if after they have escaped the pollutions of the world through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled therein and overcome, the latter end is worse with them than the beginning. For it had been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than after they have known it to turn from the holy commandment delivered unto them. But it has happened unto them according to the true proverb, the dog is turned again to his vomit and the sow that was washed to her wallowing in the mire. You see, you can take a pig And you can scrub it up, put it in your bathtub, deodorize it, perfume it, and turn it loose in your parlor. But it's going to be miserable. And as soon as it gets a chance, it's going to get it right outside again in the mud and just begin to roll around and wallow 
in the mud because that's the nature of a pig. The same with a person. You can clean up your act. You can realize that the lifestyle that you've chosen is destructive. And you can go ahead and clean up your act. But that won't save. You need a change of nature. You need a change of heart. You see, you can clean up your act but still be drawn by those things. They may still have a strong hold upon you and you, your desire is still back in those things of the past. And they have a pull, a hold, and a drawing effect upon you. Remember Lot's wife. She was unwilling to leave the worldly things behind. She was drawn back to them and in being drawn back to them was destroyed. There was never the change of heart, just environment. The scripture speaks of the necessity of the change of heart, the change of nature. Jesus said, you must be born again. The judgment of God will soon fall upon our society. As it was in the days of Lot, it is today. You can read it in your newspapers. You can watch it on television. It's being encouraged. In the name of freedom, it's being flaunted. It's being advocated. It's being accepted. As the days of Lot, so it is today. And even as God in his righteousness judged Sodom and Gomorrah, God in his righteousness is going to judge the corruption of the world today. And the only way you can escape the judgment of God is to be drawn out from this polluted system by the power of God's Holy Spirit. A changed life, a changed heart a changed nature, and that's exactly what God wants to do for you today. If you'll just give him a chance, he will. Shall we pray? Father, let thy Holy Spirit press the word of Jesus deep into our heart. And may we remember Lot's wife and the sad tragedy of turning back having once been delivered. God, speak to those today who are in the pits. Some of them have once tasted of fellowship with thee They've once walked with thee, but somehow they turn back.
and are now entangled again. Oh God, speak to them today that they might be set free. The change of nature. As you plant thy image in us. In Jesus' name. Amen. Shall we stand? We're close to the end of the road. I don't need to tell you that. Your newspapers are telling you that every day. Poor Jimmy Carter's been trying to tell you that for quite a while now. <laughs> but you're not listening. Libya has threatened to cut off all exporting of oil for two years. You know that, what that'll do to us? That'll mean gas rationing. That'll mean a cutting down all the way around the line. That's going to mean a real drastic change of your lifestyle. It may even mean $5 a gallon gas. Because we're running out of fossil fuels. We've been living like there is no tomorrow. But tomorrow is here. We don't have enough to go around anymore. And the next great shortage is going to be even worse because that's going to be in the food supply. We can't go on in the same pace in this mad race. It's got to change. It's going to change dramatically and drastically. God is going to judge this Christ-rejecting world. And that day of judgment is at hand. As it was in the days of Lot, so shall it be. And as soon as the Lord delivers his church, judgment is going to fall. Remember Lot's wife. Don't turn back to the world. What does it have? Nothing. What does it hold? Nothing. But really commit your life fully, completely to Jesus Christ. Maybe you'd like to go back to the prayer room this morning. Make things right. Come out of the pit. I wouldn't blame you. I think it's a great idea. I would encourage you to do it. It's over here on the far right of the auditorium, the door that goes behind the block wall. Some of the pastors will be back there to pray with you. Now may the Lord be with you. And may the Lord strengthen you and insulate you from this corrupt world system around you. And may the Lord keep you pure. 
and righteous and holy. And may you walk in fellowship with him in the light as he is in the light, fellowshipping and knowing that glorious cleansing power of the blood of Jesus Christ. May the Lord watch over you this week and may he help you this week to keep a right sense of value and correct priorities that you might walk first and foremost with him and seek first his kingdom, his righteousness. And may you thus have a very beautiful week. Blessed of the Lord, strengthened of him, increasing in wisdom and understanding of his love and of his purpose for your lives in Jesus Christ. Thank you for listening to Get Fed Today. Today's sermon comes from Pastor Chuck Smith. If you enjoy the message, you can access more of Pastor Chuck's teaching ministry by visiting pastorchuck.org.